We want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, to open up the lesson today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, it says this. I'm reading out of the KJV. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at the only text in the entire New Testament that could even begin to support an Easter Sunday practice. And that text was Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. And I say that because it is the only text in the New Testament that speaks of Christians gathering on a first day of the week. But what we have seen is that this particular first day of the week was too far away from Passover to be an equivalent of some sort to Easter Sunday. And two, this first day of the week gathering was not a habitual custom. It was not a model that was to be practiced by the early church, but it was an out-of-the-ordinary gathering or meeting designed to spend as much time with the special apostle that was with the Christians at Troas before he left on his journey the next morning. And if you understand this and you accept this, then there is nothing in the Bible that promotes Easter Sunday or we might say that promotes a Christian Pasha at a different time than the Hebrew Pesach or the Hebrew Passover. In the first lesson in this series, I showed the origin of the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 and where Yeshua observed the Passover about 1,500 years later in Luke chapter 2 when he was 12 years old and his parents, as was their custom, would travel to Jerusalem to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I then pointed you to the end of the Gospels, where the Passover is mentioned as being observed in connection with Yeshua's death. And then finally, we looked at the Apostle Paul's use of Passover in a teaching illustration to the congregation at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All of the biblical evidence points to the earliest Christians still observing the Passover after Yeshua's ascension to heaven. Why wouldn't they, after all? Because that's what their master did. That's what their teacher did. Might I say, that's what their example did. So why should we be surprised that they would follow in the footsteps of their master and teacher? We shouldn't be. There is no hint of a different date for a new Pasha, what is now called, in modern times, Easter Sunday, There's no hint for a new date anywhere in the Bible. There's nothing in the New Testament teaching a regular reoccurring first day of the week church service either. These things were not practiced by the earliest Messianic assembly. The earliest followers of the Messiah were all Hebrews or proselytes to the Hebrew faith who, like Yeshua, the Messiah, observed the law of Moses. Let me say that again in condensed form. The earliest Christians all observed the law of Moses. None of them believed that the coming of the Messiah 
did anything to negate Mosaic law. We do see in the New Testament uncircumcised heathens like Cornelius and like Titus from among the nations, Gentiles, repenting of their sins and placing faith in Yeshua and joining the Hebrew faith, the Messianic faith. But there is nothing in the Bible suggesting that when these Gentiles join the Hebrew faith that the date or the day for observing Passover switched. Nothing in the Bible. Now, I do believe that after Yeshua's life, death, burial, and resurrection, there was a new messianic significance to the Passover. Remember, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 that Messiah is our Passover sacrificed for us. Yeshua is the spiritual fulfillment or antitype of the natural type Passover lamb of Exodus 12. Who sacrificed Yeshua? We might say that the Romans were the ones who nailed his hands to the cross. We may say that the Jews who cried out, crucify him, crucify him, sacrificed him. Both of those answers will be correct in certain contexts. But in the big picture, in the big plan, in the foreordained picture, Yeshua was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth. The Father in heaven sacrificed Him. According to the great messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And Yahweh hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 10 of the same chapter we read, Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Ephesians 5 verse 2 follows this line of thinking where the Apostle Paul writes, And walk in love as Messiah also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to Yahweh for a sweet-smelling savor. So it is no wonder then that Yeshua is referred to as the Lamb of Yahweh in the New Testament writings, predominantly in the book of Revelation. He is called the Lamb. He is Yahweh's Lamb. He is our Passover. And He was sacrificed on Passover or at Passover. That's not a coincidence, brothers and sisters, that He was sacrificed at the Passover season. I believe that the New Testament assembly continued to follow in Yeshua's footsteps of keeping the Passover that their master and teacher kept, but now with greater significance, with deeper significance, because the Passover was no longer just a remembrance of the deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt. It was still that. The Passover is still that. But it is now also a remembrance of the greater spiritual deliverance from slavery with the sacrifice of the Lamb of Yahweh. The ordinances of the bread and the wine that represent the body and blood of Yeshua. Do you know that they were instituted by Yahweh through Yeshua during the Passover season? That's when they were instituted, at Passover time. That's why we do it at Passover time. But think about this. Wasn't Passover always looking forward to Yeshua? Now, I realize that the Old Covenant saints 
did not have as clear of a picture as we do now because we are on this side of the cross. And prophecy is always clearer after it's fulfilled. Now, I'm not saying the Old Covenant saints had no knowledge of the coming Messiah, but it wasn't as clear until it happened. Now that we're on this side of the cross, we see the picture painted a lot more clear. But it was still there in the plan of Yahweh all along. Revelation 13, verse 8. Pesach has always been a memorial of the deliverance of Egypt. And I put forth to you in this lesson that Pesach has also always been a type and a shadow of Yeshua, our Pesach lamb. Just as the blood of the Passover lamb had to be applied on the doorpost and the lintel in order for Yahweh to pass over a house in Egypt, the blood of the Messiah must be applied to your life by faith in order for Yahweh to pass over you, that is, to spare you from condemnation and from death. It must be applied. You will not, by any other method or any other way, make it to the kingdom, but by the blood of the Lamb of Yahweh. That's it. The children of Israel were not delivered from Egypt by the law. They received the law later, but they were delivered from Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only way. Hallelujah. These are all Bible things, brothers and sisters. All of this that I'm telling you about can be found in the Bible. If you meet an unbeliever and you begin to witness to him or her about why you practice the things that you practice in your faith, isn't it better to be able to show them in the Bible why you do something that you do? Why, sure it is. But do you know what? You cannot do that with Easter Sunday. You can't. You can't do that with the first day of the week church service. Even if some of these customs came about with good intentions, even if some Christians in later centuries began to do these things out of a desire to please Christ, these things are still not found in the Bible. They're not. A Christian recently asked me, Matthew, how do you know which days to observe and celebrate faith-wise, according to your faith in a spiritual manner? How do you know what to observe or what not to observe? And this is what I told him. I do what Yeshua did. That's what I do. If he observed it, and he sanctioned it, and he blessed it, then Brother Matthew's okay with it. Because that's my master. That's my teacher. That's my rabbi. Yeshua of Nazareth. And let me say this before we move on. You will never, ever go wrong imitating the Messiah. There is nothing that he did that you can do that will be error. I mentioned this last week. Let me say it again. Yahweh is not looking for someone who wants to try to get out of keeping his commandments. He wants people that desire to keep his commandments. If you come across a commandment in the Bible that you can keep, then you need to keep it. Don't argue with it. Don't try to strive with it. Don't try to even ask yourself the why of it before you start keeping it. Just begin to keep it because if it is a commandment and it applies to you, it will bring a blessing to your life. 
The very least thing that it will do if you disobey is bring negativity upon you. The worst thing that it could do is keep you from inheriting the kingdom of Yahweh. The end of the book of Galatians, Paul lists a series of sins and he says such people that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom. So the commandments are not something that are to be frivolous or something that we should treat haphazardly or something that we should just look upon in a flippant manner. Commandments are serious and we are to be obedient to those commandments. We are to be obedient to the law of Yahweh. Knowing the whole time that we're saved by His grace and that it's by His grace that we're able to be obedient. Hallelujah. You'll never go wrong imitating the Master. Now, what began the Easter Sunday observance? Well, for starters, it did not begin by being called Easter Sunday. In the 2nd century A.D., it was still called Pasha, even by those Christians who observed it on Sunday. There were Christians that observed Pasha or Passover in the 2nd century A.D., not the 1st century. But in the 2nd century A.D., long after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, they observed Passover on Sunday, but they still called it Pasha. It was the Sunday after the 14th day of Abib that was kept by some Christians who believed it better to celebrate on a set day of the Julian calendar week memorializing in their minds the resurrection of Christ rather than a set date of the Hebrew moon or month of Abib. And yes, history does say and teach that this came about with Gentile Christians who more and more wanted to separate themselves from anything Hebrew. That is where it came from. At this time in church history, the Christians who observed Pasha on a Sunday did not observe with a bunny or egg hunts in their celebration. These things came later as customs from various people groups began to morph together. There were many celebrations and observances in the springtime by different religions. Christianity is not the only one. The Hebrew faith is not the only one. Many different false pagan religions have celebrations during the springtime. And over time, customs from various religions tend to mix and get reinterpreted. Thus, in our modern Easter Sunday, we see both biblical and extra or anti-biblical sometimes practices. So I'm not going to spend my lesson reading the entirety of this next reference, but you will find some good material on the origin of a Sunday Pasha in Eusebius' Ecclesiastical History. Now, Eusebius was a Christian man who lived in the late 3rd and early 4th centuries A.D., from about 260 A.D. to 340 A.D. And he wrote on the history of the Christian church up to his time. Being born around the year 260 A.D., Eusebius likely met some of the Christians who lived in the 100s, during the Pasha controversy or the Pascal controversy as it's sometimes called. Or he at least met the children and the grandchildren of these earlier Christians. In book 5, chapter 23 of this work, Eusebius writes much of the difference of opinion respecting the observance of the Pasha season. He writes this, The churches of all Asia 
guided by a remoter tradition, suppose that they ought to keep the 14th day of the moon for the festival of our Savior's Passover, in which day the Jews were commanded to kill the Paschal Lamb. Now, while the churches in Asia observed the 14th day of Abib as Pasha, there was a large majority of Christians who observed the Sunday of the Julian calendar week after the 14th day of Abib as Pasha. And sometimes Sunday came one day after the 14th of Abib as seen on the chart. But Sunday could come six days after the 14th day of Abib as seen on this next chart. It depends on where the 14th lands on a Sunday through Saturday week. Now as a bit of a footnote, and I need to do more research on this next point, but let me just say this. It appears from reading something called the Pascal Canons of Anatolius, which is part of the anti-Nicene church fathers. It appears that there were some who would celebrate the Sunday Pasha if Sunday fell out on the 14th of Abib. Later, it was ruled that if Sunday fell on the 14th day of Abib, Pasha, later called Easter, was postponed until the following Sunday, so as not to follow the custom of the Hebrews. And I'll continue to look into this, and I hope to post more intricate or detailed data as I do more study in my life. Now, back to Eusebius. The bishops of Asia that kept Pasha on the 14th day of Abib, they wrote in a letter to the church at Rome, who observed the Sunday after the 14th, they wrote in a letter the following, though not in entirety, quote, We therefore observe the genuine day, neither adding thereto nor taking therefrom. For in Asia, great lights have fallen asleep, which shall rise again in the day of the Lord's appearing. End of quote. Now, these great lights spoken of are saints that had at this time gone on to fall asleep or to rest in the Lord. They lived holy lives. And they observed the 14th day of Abib for Pasha. Philip, one of the twelve apostles, is mentioned in this letter. John the Beloved, who rested on the bosom of our Lord, is also mentioned. There was a man also by the name of Polycarp, who is or was a disciple of John the Beloved. He is mentioned. And the letter states that all these... It's talking about these saints that have fallen asleep. All these observe the 14th day of the Passover according to the gospel, deviating in no respect but following the rule of faith. Eusebius writes that Polycarp, a disciple of John, once visited Rome and he spoke with a bishop there named Anicetus. He spoke about this Pascal controversy. But the bishop of Rome could not persuade Polycarp to observe the Sunday after the 14th day of Abib because he had always observed it with John, the disciple of our Lord, and the rest of the apostles with whom he associated. That's written in Eusebius' work. Now, it's quite interesting for anyone to read Eusebius' ecclesiastical history on this. If you want more detail. But let me say this before I move on. 
with Polycarp, we have a man who said that he observed the Passover with John the disciple and also some of the apostles on the 14th day of Abib. In my studies and in my research, I found a few scholars or commentators, whatever you want to call them, that say that although John the Beloved celebrated Pasha on the 14th day of Abib, they say that the apostles Peter and Paul actually kept the Sunday after the 14th day as Pasha. I have not found any evidence to corroborate that. I've only found people to say that. And we know that just because a scholar or commentator says something doesn't make it true. Okay. I think that this lends credence. Polycarp says he observed it with John and some of the apostles. I think this lends credence to say that the apostles observed the 14th. I believe that they observed the 14th. And I believe that it's safe to believe that John and the apostles observed Pasha the same way that they observed it with the Master before he went to heaven. And if Polycarp had been observing on this day with John and the other apostles, I cannot see any way at all that he would back off of that. I know I wouldn't. If I knew John the Beloved and the apostles, and I had observed Pasha with them on the 14th day of the moon of Abia, and somebody tried to get me to observe it on another day, there's no way that I would back off of that. It would be impossible. And think about it. John and the apostles had observed it with the master himself. Their example. So it's very strong. But Eusebius also writes that Polycarp could not persuade Bishop Anicetus of Rome either to observe it on the 14th. And the bishop said that he was bound to maintain the practice of the presbyters before him. And presbyters means the elders. Now, I'm not sure if presbyters before him means before him in time or before him in rank. The word before can mean either before in time or before in rank, like higher above him. But either way, how could this be as old of a custom as John and the apostles? It couldn't be. The 14th day of Abib is certainly the older of the two customs. Now, I want you to think a little deeper with me here. I'll try to go slow. I will be putting all of these charts on YouTube so you can go back and watch and pause and look at the charts and meditate if you so choose. We are not told in this history that Polycarp or Philip or any of the 14ers, historians call them quartodecimans, meaning the 14th. We're not told that any of these 14ers pushed a Friday celebration of Pasha. Track with me now. As in Good Friday today. We're not told in any of this history that they pushed, we're going to celebrate on Friday. We are told that the Roman church pushed a Sunday celebration in the second century. And while the crucifixion may have fell out on Friday in the crucifixion week, I actually believe that it did. Because the Julian calendar week existed back then. I believe that the preparation day or the crucifixion day actually fell out on a Friday. Not that it always is on a Friday. But I believe it fell out on a Friday in that year. But Polycarp was not pushing a Friday observance of Pasha. He was rather pushing an observance on a particular date of the moon of Abib, the 14th. 
This is going to get a little technical, but I have faith in your brains that you can grab it. Why by the moon? Well, it should be a duh moment to us that know that the biblical calendar has a lot to do with the moon. I know some people think Brother Matthew's a moon worshiper because I go by the moon for my calendar. Rest assured, Brother Matthew doesn't worship the moon. But I will say also, rest assured, Brother Matthew does love the moon because it is a creation of Almighty Yahweh. And I use the moon for what Yahweh designed it for. Same thing with the sun and the stars. Why by the moon? Well, the older custom held to the 14th day of Abib as both the crucifixion date and crucifixion day. The 14th day of Abib was not only the 14th day of the moon, but it was also originally the 6th day of the week or the preparation day to the Sabbath. See, Yeshua was crucified on the 14th day of the moon. That was preparation day. Mark 15, 42 says it was the day before the Sabbath. He was laid in the tomb on the 15th. That's the Sabbath. And he resurrected on the 16th day of Abib, which is the wave sheaf day or the first fruits day. As I said before, this very well could have landed on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in the Julian calendar week that existed during the time of the crucifixion. But that does not mean that Abib 14, 15, and 16 would always fall out on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The next year, it could have fallen out on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The year after that, it could have fallen out on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But guess what? Scripturally, the 14th, the 15th, and the 16th, preparation day, Sabbath, first day of the week, that would remain. It doesn't matter what the Julian calendar week is underscoring that or the Gregorian calendar week is underscoring that. doesn't matter. Nothing changes the days of the moon or the dates of the moon. Each year as the Passover season arrives, the 14th day of Abib is always seen by Hebrew roots, Messianic, Torah observant people as the ancient Pesach or Passover date. But... It's not always on Friday. Passover is not always on Friday. Sometimes, like on the chart, the 14th day of Abib falls on a Wednesday. This is why, catch this, this is why the Christian church observes what they call Good Friday. They realize, and I believe they realize it correctly, that Yeshua died on the preparation day to the weekly Sabbath. But only sometimes does Friday fall on the 14th day of the moon of Abib. Not always. It will always be close to the 14th, but not consistently on the 14th. So, in this case, if the 14th day of Abib fell on a Wednesday, like on the chart, Good Friday would be celebrated by the modern Christian church the Friday after that Wednesday. But guess what? That Friday is not Passover. It's not Pasha. This year, in 2018, we observed the 14th day of Abib on a Saturday. There we go. Because that's the day that it fell out on. 
Good Friday this year fell on Abib 13th. And then Easter Sunday, the day the Christian church celebrates the resurrection, fell out on Abib the 15th. Back in 2013, I studied this, and I kept records showing that the 14th day of Abib fell on a Monday. And that means the 14th, 15th, and 16th sequence was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yet Good Friday was observed later on in the week, and then Easter Sunday after that. So if you observe Abib 14th as the consistent crucifixion day, that is Passover day, then there must be a way that Abib the 14th is always the sixth day of the week, preparation day. In other words, every year that Pasha or Passover rolls around, it's not just the date that we're concerned with, but it is the day of the week. So how in the world can we have the 14th date of the moon and the sixth day of the week? The model that consistently works like this every year is the lunar Sabbath model. It is. Each year we observe the Master Supper not just on the same date, beginning of the 14th, but also on the same day, the start of the sixth day of the week. That was Yeshua's passion. That's when He was betrayed that night. We then observe Passover in the afternoon of Abib the 14th, but not just on the same date of the moon, but also on the same day of the week, day six, every year. This in turn means that Abib the 16th, wave sheaf day, always falls out on the first day of the week, the biblical week is what we're concerned with. And it can be consistently celebrated. Abib 16 can be consistently celebrated as both the resurrection day of the week and the resurrection date of the moon. It was so funny, I posted on Facebook on Resurrection Day, which fell out on a Monday. I said, this morning, many, many years ago, the women came to visit the tomb of Yeshua where their master was laid when he, when he was put to death, after he was put to death. But he was already gone because, see, Yeshua did not rise at sunrise. He had already rose during the nighttime. He rose at night, but it was still the third day of resurrection, even though he rose at night. But when they came early in the morning, John's gospel says while it was yet dark, he was already gone. The stone had been rolled away. Praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. It's beautiful. Resurrection. So, but I said, so happy Resurrection Day. So we celebrate Resurrection Day on Abib 16th. And people say, well, it's not. It's a Monday, though. We celebrate Easter Sunday. But see, Easter Sunday doesn't have anything to do with this right here. See, we want to do Bible things in Bible ways. We want to get it to the best of our ability, the way that Yahweh has it lined out in the Scriptures. So we celebrate the first day of the biblical week when we understand the biblical calendar. See? So it's beautiful. And as our opening text says, and this is why I read this, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Have you ever combed through the Scriptures and tried to find out where the Old Testament, which is what Paul's talking about when he says Scriptures, where does the Old Testament talk about 
the third day resurrection. Where does the scriptures teach that Christ would rise on the third day? I believe that the scriptures teach this in the Passover reckoning during the month of Abib. That is the 14th Passover, the 15th Sabbath, and the 16th wave sheaf. One, two, and three. Put to death on day one, laid at rest on the Sabbath day two, resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures. But if you don't understand the Passover or the passion right there, then you won't grab that, you won't grasp that. But it's beautiful harmony when you see it. And I'm persuaded, I am persuaded that the Pascal controversy that we talked about in the writings of Eusebius in the second century contains a vestige of lunar Sabbatarian reckoning. See, Polycarp, when he went to argue with the Bishop of Rome, Polycarp was not arguing that we need to observe Pasha on Friday because our Lord died on Friday. No, no, no. He was arguing that we need to observe Pasha on the 14th day of the moon of Abib. Why? Because that's the day that the Lord died on. That's the day of our Lord's crucifixion. And that was originally always the sixth day of the week. That's what Brother Matthew sees currently and that's what Brother Matthew believes. So in the end, as I conclude, there is nothing in Scripture authorizing a removal of Pasha off of the 14th day of Abib and onto the Sunday that follows it. None of the earliest Christians did this. None of the earliest Christians observed Easter Sunday or Sunday Pasha, much less with egg hunts and bunnies, etc. And I'm interested in doing what our Savior and His apostles did. How in the world could that be wrong? I'm interested in doing what He and His apostles did. I'm interested in going back as far as we can to the most original practices and observances that we can find. And I want to imitate those practices. I do not want later developments in theology. I do not want so-called improvements in theology or in practice. I want the real thing. I want the original thing. And may Yahweh help all of us to want the real thing and to be pure and primitive in our worship. Amen? So let's stand and close in prayer. And so now may Yahweh bless you and keep you May Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may Yahweh lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. And I bless you in the name of Yahweh. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. Thank you for a good Passover and a good feast of unleavened bread. Father, thank you for the mindset to do Bible things in Bible ways. Help us to follow and imitate what our Savior did. And we do thank you so much for sending your son. And I'm so thankful that he was willing to go and do your will. And to die for our sins. Father Yahweh, you're such a great mighty one. You've laid out all of this before the foundation of the earth. And I'm thankful that we get to be some of the people that get to partake and understand your ways. Help us where we err. Reveal to us our hidden faults. And help us in our struggles with sin. Father, we bind the enemy in the name of Yahweh. And I 
pray that you would continue to work on our hearts and our minds and grow us into stronger and stronger saints. Father, I pray that everyone here would be in the kingdom. That's my prayer. I pray all these things through your holy child, Yeshua. Amen.